welcome. You've got mail. Hey folks, welcome to another edition of TechStream. It's the middle of October. We are about three weeks away from election season. And uh, in case you've been living under a rock, try turning on a television or a radio show and not hearing a political ad of some kind. Uh, whether you are right, left, center, top, left, middle, backwards, but let's just say you want to run for the mayor of Bizarro World, there is a political <laughs> ad for you. Good afternoon, Shelley. How are you? I'm pretty great, Seth. How are you doing? Good. You know, the the funny thing about it is, is that, you know, elections are stuff that it's getting so personal and it's getting so intense. And the stuff in Georgia and the stuff in Pennsylvania is just getting nasty. But stealing street signs or <laughs> or election signs is like the newest form of lowest common denominator politics. Like. I did you really think that it's going to impact one vote? There's a sign of a candidate you don't like, and you're going to literally lift it out of the ground and throw it in a dumpster. Well, two things. One, firstly, I'm not a political animal, nor do we cover politics. But I will say that there are two kinds of lawn signs. Outdoor lawn signs, which are in question right now, and indoor lawn signs, the ones nobody sees. Sure, you put the outdoor lawn sign out there so everybody knows that you're, you support XYZ candidate, right or left, blue or red, whatever. But then there's how you're actually going to vote. And that has nothing necessarily to do with what's on your lawn. For some people, it does. In Tredifrin, T-R-E-D-Y-F-F-R-I-N, Tredifrin, I think. Yeah. Tredifrin Township, Pennsylvania, BuzzFeed News reports that a whole bunch of lawn signs have been stolen over and over and over again by one party uh, against the other. And I, the greatest story in, and I hope I'm saying this right, Tredifferin, I'm sorry, Tredifferin Township people if I'm not. So, Seth, do this you remember- the nasty uh, John Fetterman, Dr. Oz uh, campaign going on. Yeah, yeah. So do you remember- a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. Are they away? They've just made the jump into hyperspace. You're sure the homing beacon is secure aboard their ship? I'm taking an awful risk, Vader. This had better work. And you're thinking, how sci-fi? So last week, in Tredifferin Township, what happened? Somebody was mad as hell. They weren't going to take it anymore. They're like, I'm not going to let my lawn signs get stolen one more time. They put an Apple Air tag in the lawn sign. So when it was reported to the news, uh, to the police that the lawn signs have been stolen, the police knew exactly where the lawn signs were. They were, <laughs> they were in a dumpster uh, just behind a large commercial building in a strip mall in the area. They knew exactly where they were. And they got some security footage and, they're going to try and figure out who stole them. Moral of the story, it's not science fiction. It's 25 bucks to your out to the Apple store. And you too can tag anything, including the lawn signs that are being stolen by your adversaries and find out exactly where they are. You should put the air tags on your uh, on the pumpkins that hold the uh, the candy. So yeah. You know, the pumpkins, you can find out where they went. Or track your kids when they're using a little pumpkin to collect or anything. I mean, it's unbelievable. To me, 
it's just this was kind of a funny use of an air tag because clearly they didn't think they were getting their air tag back. They just wanted to watch it go across town and see, you know, where what happened to their political signs. The technology. I know people who want to politicize this definitely want to politicize it. I don't. I just want everyone to understand that with a $25 bill, you can put a homing beacon on anybody, anywhere to do anything with. And of course, people are doing, you know, silly things with it. But well, and of course, I'll, if you were going to tell me, though, what state would have stolen lawn signs and air tags, wh- where would this story get covered? I would have put all my money on either Georgia or Pennsylvania. <laughs> like they are so nasty. And I don't care what side you're on. They are so nasty. Both sides. It's just it is some of the ugliest stuff. I feel bad that this is going to be covered in history classes in the in the future. You know what? You have to read some of the early political discourse, if you can call it that, in the 1770s and 1780s when the United States was young, political fighting and name calling and all of that uh, pejorative nonsense, even alternative facts are not new. We just feel like they're amplified a little bit more because of the tools we have, social media, what have you. But if you, you're a student of history, especially United States politics and local politics specifically, local, local politics, a full contact sport. It always has been. It's vicious. And, and I have a house um, up in Vermont and I was there uh, doing some, winter cleaning with my wife this weekend we had the tv going we're watching local television oh my (laughs) local vermont television well local vermont television is really albany because that's the closest um tv stations local stations Uh but there's also the local cable stations like the super local ones wow like the news cable channels or whatever yeah whatever let's just say it's pretty vicious and i don't know how much of it's true you know, switching topics just a little bit. Last week, SCOTUS, the Supreme Court of the United States, uh, had your your super friend and 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 late client Prince in the news with right. Andy Warhol and the photographer who took that wonderful picture of Prince that was um, has become the center of this massive debate about uh, derivative works. And I don't know if you've been following it all, but it's pretty fascinating. Well, it's the, the, the thing that this is coming down to is, you know, we can look up things on the Internet so easily and you can find things. How do you find make sure that the original work is attributed to the person who actually created the photo? So th- there's a couple things going on. For those of you who don't know, there this goes back to a uh a picture of Prince, which was taken by a photographer named Lynn Goldsmith. And there's a couple of interesting copyright things. And if you are a person who uses social media and likes to take pictures of things that are specifically people, a couple things you need to know. If you're walking around, like, and you're not a famous person like Prince, if you're just walking around like, let's say you were walking around Washington Square Park and someone took a picture of Washington Square Park, not of you, but maybe but, of you. But you're in just, the picture. Yeah, but I mean, it could be you as an interesting individual. You have no copyright to that. You have no you have no claim whatsoever. The copyright belongs to the photographer. 
And even the photograph of Prince, Prince theoretically might have commissioned it as a promotional work. Uh, there may be some rights about Prince, might be, but maybe not. But the photographer owns the copyright under the current copyright law. That's important. Right. That's important, right. That's in this in this particular conversation because that photograph was used, uh, the Lynn Goldsmith photograph was used in uh, for promotional purposes. But then, because it's a picture of Prince, it's a headshot, basically a Prince. But then Andy Warhol, the famous pop artist, got a hold of that photo and and tweaked it. He used it to, um, first he turned, it, it was black and white. He enhanced it. He colorized it. He posterized it. He Andy Warholized it, right? He did his like Andy yeah. Warhol art thing to it. And, and that's and, the version of it that I had seen before this case. Uh, yeah, mostly because that's more famous because that got used um, also in a magazine when Prince died uh, in 2016, may he rest in peace, that Warhol photo got used, but he created a whole bunch of images, 15 different images off that original Prince photo. And that's Warhol's art. Or is it the Supreme right. Court of the United States is trying to figure out, is it a derivative work of Lynn Goldsmith's photograph? That's pretty hardcore because every single one of us who ever posted a picture, messed with a picture, took a piece of art, did anything with a piece of art, like whatever we've ever done to somebody else's photo or somebody else's artwork sure. to create something new, match something up. you get the original up. photo, right. Like, where is it? Who's it from? Now, there were technically kind of four tests you'd use if you're the Supreme Court. Between The difference between, like, inspired by, Seth, you know, Seth Everett inspired me to do this with his art, and I directly knocked off Seth Everett. And here they are, ready? Is it a derivative work? So the first thing got to ask is what's the purpose of the new work is it serving the same purpose well in the warhol picture of prince and the goldsmith picture of prince they were both ending up in magazines was that the purpose or was there a different purpose and then what's the nature of the new work is it promotional is it commercial is it pure art is it like what is it is it an album cover like what what is the nature of it is it a storytelling tool like what is it then how much of the original art is used in the new work or the derivative work? Is it like the whole thing or is it really messed with? Like, did you, did you colorize it, posterize it, tweak it? Is it, is it recognizable right. as being based on, or did you use like a ton of the original art? This also has a lot to do with music and sampling, right? How much of the, sure. That's how it ties into stuff we've talked about. Sure. And then the fourth Seven one is seconds of a, of a song, you know, where, where is it for your use to use? Or and as it, you, right. and as you and I have discussed, the seven second rule doesn't, is, is doesn't it's urban myth. It's not real. Like everybody keeps using it, but in fact, it's any amount of the song. And then the fourth and most, maybe most important uh, for all of us is how does the new work impact the market value for the original work? Like, did you mess up somebody's ability to make a living from their artwork or their music or their, or their creation? because you created a substantially identical work based on their work and for all intents and purposes, stole it from them. So here's the thing. If this, uh, if, if the Supreme court finds in favor of Lynn Goldsmith, the plaintiff, she's going to be entitled to millions in royalties from the Warhol foundation. He's no longer with us as everyone knows, right. but that that's not the issue. Cause that's just rich people having rich people arguments. The, the thing is, what's it going to do to YouTube? 
What's it going to do to Spotify? What's it going to do to TikTok where the algorithms have to be trained now to figure out if a work is derivative or not? You know those algorithms are going to err on the side of caution. Look at all the problems you've had with stuff yep. you know is cleared. Yep. Totally. Stuff that is fair use. This is such a big case. And I'm I'm really watching it closely. And all of us who create media and everybody who who just likes to use TikTok and YouTube and Spotify and any, you know, any service where you're likely to hear a mashup, this is a big, big deal. So yeah, just look for it. It's Goldsmith versus the Warhol Foundation. Speaking of uh, Prince, though, um, I wanted to get your take on there's a new documentary. I believe it's on Showtime. Don't quote me on that. It might be Paramount Plus. One of those mm -hmm. about uh, Sinead O'Connor. And Sinead O'Connor is an artist who, in essence, I mean, I don't want to belittle her. She's kind of a one hit wonder. But she, nothing compares, which is right the in, the, in, in, in the early 90s. Showtime, nothing by the way. compares to you, which is a Prince composition. Yes. And Prince later uh, released the song on his own, trying to capitalize on the success of Sinead O'Connor's version. The documentary uh, exists. I haven't seen the documentary. Yeah, it's on Showtime. It's pretty good. It's, it's on Showtime. Mm -hmm. it's but good. the Prince estate. Now, I, I don't want to talk about this on the podcast. All I can say is that Prince estate has to have air quotes around it because to call that the estate is a sham. But the Prince estate wouldn't let the documentarian use nothing compares to you in the Sinead O'Connor documentary. Wow. And when asked about it, these assholes said, well, Prince's version is better. I don't care what version's better. The story of her career without that song is nothing. So wait a minute. Hold on a second. I'm trying to think through. I thought how they could prevent document uh, documentary. No, I'm trying. It's not. It's not to do with documentary. You... I'm trying to think through how it's possible to withhold sync rights. Yes, the publisher can do that. Of course, they can. So Sinead O'Connor didn't write the song, so she doesn't own the publishing. She doesn't own the publishing for that song. The Prince Estate, in quotes, air quotes, as you put it, does own the publishing. Correct. So they would have to be contacted by the videographer who and the producer who would then try to buy a license in perpetuity because they'd for want this it documentary for this documentary for for sync rights to synchronize that song, no matter who recorded it, even if they re-recorded it. So then there's then on top of that, they'd be master rights. So Sinead O'Connor or whoever her recorded music company is, they would own the master rights to that recording of hers, yep. but the publishing would be owned by the Prince estate and they would control whether or not a sync license was granted. So yes, they could absolutely withhold that. What a un what unfortunate a, but what thing a jerk to do. move. Not, yeah. It's a not. jerk move. It, there's no reason you don't have that song be a part of whatever story you're telling journalistically of Sinead O'Connor. If you're telling a, a Sinead O'Connor story, that song has to be in it. You don't have, it thing, doesn't have to be in its entirety. It they, they would get performance royalties from, like, they'd not only get the sync rights for money, which they'd sell to the producer, they'd also get, unless they, they sold it off exclusively, you know, in a one-time uh, buyout, They'd also be entitled to the performance royalties. This seems like cutting your nose to spite your face. When Sinead O'Connor says, can we use that song? The answer should just be yes. You want to play it three times in your documentary? Sure. No problem. Well, for the money. You, you yeah. Want... I didn't say it was a, not a, a relationship without its uh, tumult.
Mm-hmm. Uh, nonetheless, mm-hmm. <laughs> Netflix is uh, coming out with a new ad tier uh, uh, programming plan. Yes. And it can get cheaper for you. Uh, if you if you have Netflix, uh, you can pay less money, uh, except now you're going to have commercials. Mm-hmm. And Netflix hasn't really commented on the, if the commercials are going to be before the show starts, during the show, if it's going to break up the shows. Uh, when exactly are you going to see the ads? We've seen ads in other streaming services, and I, I don't find them overly obtrusive. Just Netflix seems like they were the one that bypassed this. Oh, my goodness gracious. Oh, my goodness gracious. Where to start? Where to start? So Netflix has no choice. They have to find some new money because they can't find any new subs. They put together an amazing ad sales team without having an amazing tech stack. So I'm assuming that they're going to have very traditional 30, 15 and 30 second spots whether they cluster them in between shows, uh, do them as pre-rolls, they won't do them as post-rolls because they won't have any viewers. If they mid-roll these commercials, there are some shows. They're going to piss people off. Well, there are some shows that are sequenced where they have spots for commercials to run. You know, Seth, what's really fascinating. You're saying that when the shows were written and produced, they built it as if it was going to go on a network that was going to have these ads. If you watch any episode of Star Trek Discovery, you will notice that it's written with very specific fake blacks. Got it. And in the old days, you would write. And if, and if on Paramount you have a an ad plan, there would be a commercial there. That's correct. And and so, as a writer and producer of television, you learn to do a couple of things. There's a first. There's an opening act or some exposition where you set up your characters and you set up your story. Then you go to commercial. When you come back, when you bump in from commercial, there is a re-exposition because you need to get the people who came during the first commercial break. It it finds a natural break. Then there's they know there's a commercial. They bump in knowing that there'll be some re-exposition of the characters. And what I mean by re-exposition is if you actually think through you don't need to think it through watch any episode of law and order any episode doesn't matter which one doesn't matter what anything that dick wolf ever did with a law and order name on it and you'll see the way it opens you can practically tell at the 20 minute mark whether the person's guilty or not because whether it's going to trial and what's going to happen and who they've identified it's very formulaic but it's also incredibly instructive about how you write a show for commercial television because all of the breaks are not only written in, so are the reintroduction of the various characters and reintroduction of plot lines. And so that you can literally tune in, which is a word from the last century to, you could be 20 minutes late and immediately know what's happening because at the next commercial break, you'll be caught up. No shows on Netflix are written this way. What's so fascinating about Netflix is when you take a, a, a modern Netflix show, why writers loved it. It's like my exposition is in the first half hour or first hour of the first episode. And now I've got six episodes. I have this, I'm writing a six hour movie. You come into the middle, go into the, like, it doesn't matter what you choose from a, a premium, doesn't even, does not even need to be a Netflix show. 
Find yourself in the middle of Game of Thrones and tell me where you are. You won't know. You have to literally start from the front to understand because they don't do that reintroduction of the plot. They don't do the re-exposition of the characters. They don't. And Netflix shows are written just like that. So it's going to be fascinating, first of all, because you're you're going to, there are no natural breaks in half the Netflix shows. So I'm not sure how they're going to do it. My guess is pre-rolls to start and judiciously. I got another question for you, Seth. How happy are you about watching commercials and paying money to Netflix? Well, that's the thing. Why does it bother me so much with Netflix, but it doesn't with the other services? I don't know. I, the other services to me have other content. Like, for example, Paramount has football. Like sports, they also have uh, some of like the Champions League and the Europa League. So like you'll see commercials during those broadcasts. And I'm thinking to myself, like, I don't mind. I'm not going to pay for no ads because those sports broadcasts are going to have ads anyway. Right. And so for Netflix, there's nothing on there that would warrant a commercial. That's the question, at least from my perspective, is how do you take something away that you once had and you know the prices of all these services are going up and i know a lot of people complain about those a lot of people i know uh cancel some at times i've said that too i've you know i did that with showtime remember i wanted mm -hmm. to see ray donovan and i i i bought showtime for i think it was two months i watched ray donovan and when ray donovan was over i canceled showtime and you know, if there's something on it, I certainly not going to go see that Sinead O'Connor documentary without the one song that Sinead O'Connor made famous. <laughs> well, you know that in advance. But you know what? Stranger Things, Bridgerton, Ozark, any of your favorite there's Netflix shows. so many shows great shows on Netflix. Are not, are not really built. Like, if they put commercials in The Witcher, I'll lose my mind. Of course, I'm paying yeah, for right. the... I'm That's pay the thing. I'm paying for the more expensive um, Netflix anyway. But I don't know how far... That's going to go like it. I, I'm also not sure what their plans are. There may be a lot of pushback. There may not be. If there isn't a lot of pushback, they'll probably raise the price of the commercial free tier and, and this tier as well, because their job is to push those prices as far as they can before they start seeing cancellations. Like they're going to they're never going to not test the upper bounds. One thing you know for a fact and Seth, you know this deeply, as I do. The price of media has never gone down. Right. Ever. Right. Ever. It's not what it does. So Netflix is desperate for cash. They're going to go find the cash. I'm pretty depressed about it for all kinds of reasons. I'm happy about it and others. I think if you are, if I put on my, my consultant hat and I try to help my clients who are trying to raise awareness for their products or have transactional uh, events occur, uh, you know, just somehow leverage digital advertising. Yeah, I can see why they might like this. Netflix has all kinds of data about everybody, what they watch, what they're likely to watch. Their recommendation engine is pretty good, not great, pretty good. And so they'll be able to help advertisers put the right message in front of the right person, right place at the right time, right place being Netflix. My question is, is it the right place? I've been trained not to expect commercials on Netflix. And I've honestly, I don't know. I don't know if that few dollars a month is going to move me. But I also don't spend other people's money. And there are going to be plenty of people that go for the lower priced 
add to Yes, that. I think that's right. The other question is, though, and this is important, fast, free, advertiser-supported streaming television like Pluto, you know, the, these services, and there are many of them, provide you completely free television. Or something like Google TV, which gives you a zillion channels that have a, a lot of commercials in them. It's cable over the public internet that, you know, I'm, it, that's what they're up against. They're up against, once you put commercials in this stuff, you're no better or more interesting than anyone else. Right. Time will tell. This is a big bet on the Netflix, on, on from the people at Netflix. And uh, I will not be signing up to watch Netflix with commercials. Uh, but, but for those of you who do, please, at Techstream, that's how you find us on Twitter. Tell us why we're elitist dummies and why we know nothing. Because we probably are elitist dummies and we probably know nothing. <laughs> well, this week I am only going to stream Sinead O'Connor's Nothing Compares to You and not Prince's version, even if Prince's version is better. I don't care. <laughs> we'll see you next week. 